If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I thought I was going to have to explain why someone was, was preaching in a t-shirt, but thankfully Derek set that up. Um, this is the Disciple Now weekend. My name is Jeff Martin. I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Um, a little bit about me. I was an Air Force kid growing up, so we moved around quite a bit. I was actually born just a little bit north of here on 55 in a town called Blyville, Arkansas. Um, eventually, we ended up in San Antonio, Texas. I graduated high school from there and went to Texas Tech for college. And then there, I, I gave my life to full-time vocational ministry and continued my education at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's where me and Derek Fortenberry had the privilege of meeting each other, becoming friends. And since then, we've both been in full-time student ministry, and I actually ended up back in San Antonio, um, so that's where I'm coming from. But before that, I was in Georgia, um, outside of Atlanta, and that's where I met my beautiful wife. She is amazing, um, and, and we have two beautiful, handsome kids. We've got Ruthie, who is three, and Wit who is one, and I couldn't write a better story for our lives having, having these kids and, and seeing how God is working in them. It gives me a completely different perspective on, on leading um, in a church position, um, knowing what it means to father now. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. We've been in San Antonio for the last five years working at a church called Share Hills Baptist Church, and, um, and we plan on being there until God calls us elsewhere, if he ever does. But um, this weekend... We've been focusing in on what it means to be a follower of Christ. So we, we've been all over the place, but our, our main focus has been in the book of Mark. We, we looked at the first half, which looks at the question, who is Jesus? So the first night was seeing that Jesus is more than a hobby. He is the Lord of our lives. And then yesterday morning, we looked at the cost of discipleship. And, and how Jesus doesn't call us to safety, he actually calls us to be dangerous disciples, to be room changers, to have an influence in the world that we are in. And then last night, we looked at how to have influence in this world, we need to continue the ministry of Christ through being servant leaders. Well, today, I want us to look at what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. And we're going to look at three barriers that potentially hold us back from doing that. Three things that, that are obstacles that can hinder us from, from fully influencing as a follower of Christ like he intended us to do. So when I was in college, my roommates and I liked to play tricks on each other. One of the things we would do is, is we would set up obstacles throughout our house, and then we would turn off the lights, basically daring people to make it from point A to point B without stubbing a toe or best case scenario, completely busting their face. Well, eventually we, we got good at making our way to light switches in the dark, so we had to be more strategic. We had to set up more complex obstacles, and we would actually start to remove light bulbs from their sockets. So if you made it to a light switch and turned it on and nothing happened, you thought, oh no, this is not going to be good. And, and while setting up obstacles was, was great fun in this scenario, being the victim was never fun. And, and in the same way in life, there are obstacles that keep us from Christ. And sometimes there are things that other people set up for us, and sometimes there are things that we unknowingly set up for ourselves. I was telling the youth a story last night about a man who was walking down a road. 
And as he walked down in the distance, he saw a small light, and the light was kind of faltering and moving about. And he thought, surely this person is either, either sick or, or maybe they've had too much to drink. And as he got closer to the man, he noticed that the man actually was carrying a white cane. He was blind. And the man thought, well, why would a blind man be carrying a cane? So he decided to ask him, and, and the blind man said, I don't carry a flashlight so I can see. I carry a flashlight so other people can see me. While I can't help being blind, I can help from being a stumbling block. You see, we run a risk of, of having barriers in our lives that affect more than just us. You see, if, if we are stumbling, we run the risk of causing other people to stumble too. So, so we need to be honest with ourselves today to look at these tests that John gives us and to evaluate our own hearts to make sure that we're not hindering ourselves from God and that we're not hindering others from God. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to dive into 1 John chapter 2. Father, I am, I am thankful for the opportunity to preach your word to your bride, to your church. My faith is um, that because you care about them deeply, that, that you will speak through your word to them. And God, because you care about them deeply, I ask that you help me to say things that are only truthful and only rooted and what you've revealed to us through your holy word. God, let your word penetrate our hearts. Let it transform our lives. And I ask that you help all of us to be completely honest with ourselves, and with where we're at, so that we can make sure that we are authentically following you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. If there's one thing we get out of today, I want it to be this. When we walk in obedience to God's command to love, we give spiritual life to others. So when we walk in obedience to God's command to love, we give spiritual life to others. And, and, and here's why that's important. God wants us to have both vertical fellowship and horizontal fellowship. Vertical fellowship with Him and horizontal fellowship with other people. So that means if we are authentically following Him, there should be a desire for us to spend time with God, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in His Word, studying it, meditating it, applying it to our lives. But not only spending time vertically, He also wants us to desire to be with other Christians, to have community with other believers. So that means if your time with God is something that is burdensome instead of enjoyable, then there's a problem. Or if the last thing you want to do is be around people in this church, then there is a problem. So that's why John gives us these three tests to make sure that we have true fellowship with God and authentic fellowship with other believers. I love the book of John. If you look at the context of it, John is writing to a declining church. So if, if you look at the ministries of Paul and the ministry of Peter, they have these mega churches. And then historically, we can, we can look back and see great apologists and great philosophers that come from those churches. Then when you study John's church, there is absolutely nothing. His church dies out. So the question might be raised, well, was John a successful pastor and, and the answer to that is he was not concerned with success. He was concerned with being faithful to the gospel. So he writes as a pastor who is concerned with faithfulness, concerned with us being authentic 
followers of him. So what's going on is, is people have taken what he wrote in the Gospel of John, and they, they've misunderstood it, and, and they've taken pop culture of their time, namely Gnosticism, and they've started fitting Jesus in to what they want. They started fitting Jesus into culture because they wanted Jesus to be comfortable. They wanted Jesus to be popular and acceptable to other people. And John comes back and says, you, you haven't heard me right. So if you actually look at John, the first 18 verses are something that he most likely added on at a later time to correct a misunderstanding. Then he goes on to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as commentaries to help us better understand what he wrote in the Gospel of John. And the theme of 1st John, the commentary to his Gospel, is that he wants us to be authentic followers of Christ. So for us to be authentic followers, we need to know who he truly is. Not who we want him to be, but who he has been revealed to be. Look at verses 1 and 2 for me in 1 John. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with us, with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. What we see here is that John's audience is Christians. He is writing to people in the church, and that should be alarming for us because just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you aren't at risk for being unauthentic. And, and I love that word where he says, if you fall, it, it's, it's, there's good news in that Christ came as a propitiation. That word propitiation carries so much more weight um, than, than just a one word thing. It has this idea of, um, of removing an offense and repairing a relationship. It's kind of like a bike tube. If, if you have a bike tire and you run over a thorn, it punches a hole in the tube. So if you remove the thorn or remove the offense and then pump air into it, it does no good because the air will leak out. But if you put a patch on it and repair it, or better yet, just put a whole new tube entirely in the tire, then it can serve its purpose. So for us to serve our purpose in the world of continuing Christ's ministry, we need Christ to be our propitiation, to remove the offense of our sin, and then where there is a hole in that relationship for God to come in and repair it and fill it and make it new. So, so he is writing to people who have had the offense of their sins removed. He is writing to people who have a repaired relationship with Christ and saying, you still run the risk of being authentic, so tune in. Listen up, this is for all of us. So, the three tests start in verse 3 through 5. The first test is simply this. Is your faith more than a label? Okay? Is your faith more than a label? Because just because you know God doesn't mean you are growing spiritually. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. This is actually the, the thesis statement of verses 1 through 11 in 1 John 2. Everything in these verses hinges on this. The idea being this, if you know God, it is evidenced in a heartfelt desire to obey him. So there's, there's the thesis statement. If you know God, it should be evidenced in a heartfelt desire to obey him. So if we keep his commandments, right? Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, if you are a, a marker person in your Bible, if you underline or circle, I would take note of that word. If I say, I know him, all right, so whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever 
keeps, that's another word, all right? So know and keeps are are two key words here, all right? But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. So the first test is, is your faith more than a label? Verse three is this thesis, thesis statement that if we truly know him, we will have a heartfelt desire to obey him. And then we see this idea of knowledge, okay? If you say, I know him. Now this, this, this word know doesn't mean a one-time intellectual understanding. It doesn't mean that you understood something at VBS as a kid, or you understood something at summer camp as a youth or a disciple now, or, or as an adult one time, and then you move on from it. You see, this idea of knowledge actually means, it, it means a, a life-changing experience that presently affects you and will continue to affect you the rest of your life. So that word know has, has much more depth than just an intellectual understanding. It means it is currently affecting you, presently affecting you, and it will continue to affect you the rest of your life. It is something that you experience and something that you live out. So, so just intellectually knowing about God isn't enough. I live in San Antonio, home of the Spurs, and, and, and there are people that are fanatics. I'm not talking just the average person who watches games throughout the year a little bit here and there then pays closer attention in the playoffs. I'm talking fanatics. They can tell you every player. They can tell you their heights, their weights, where they went to college or what country they're from. They can tell you what grocery shop they shop at in San Antonio, what times they generally frequent there. And, I mean, they can tell you lengths of their hands between their pinky and thumbs. I mean, there's a guy named Quiet Leonard has a huge hand, and people know the distance of that. They know all kinds of facts about the Spurs. But if these fanatics show up to the back entrance of the San Antonio Spurs Stadium and try to walk in, you know what will happen? They'll be met by a fairly large man who will stop them and escort them off the premises because knowing about the spurs does not make them a spur. So, so, so intellectual knowledge isn't enough. This is a knowledge that should have a life impact on you, something that currently affects you and will continue to affect you the rest of your life. The other word I talked about was this idea of keep. Okay, So verse 4 says, if you're not growing, then there's a serious disconnect between you and God. All right, so, so verse 5 says, instead, we should keep, okay? It says, whoever keeps his word. So this word keep has the idea of duration and perseverance. So the idea of keeping his word means that, that there's duration, it continues, and it's, it's perseverance. There's actually movement to the Greek word here. It, it's this idea of, of observing something, realizing something, and then once you're realizing it, protecting it. Okay, so this idea of keeping his word has so much more weight as this idea of observing, realizing, and protecting. So the first test is simply this. Are you just calling yourself a Christian? Or are you living it out? Is your faith more than a label? The next test we see is picked up in verses 6 through 8. And it's this. Is your faith more than an imitation of Jesus? So the first test is, is your faith more than a label? And the second test is, is your faith more than an imitation of Jesus? Let's pick up in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. This term abide means not imitating or pretending but having the indwelling of Christ in our lives. It's the Christian indwelling in God or Christ indwelling through the Christian living 
in him. Um, I heard a great illustration from a pastor who, who talked about how when he was a kid, his Sunday school teacher was the old guy at church that knew magic tricks. You know the guy. He, he can pull quarters out of kids' ears. He has a deck of cards on hand at all the time. So, so they loved him as their Sunday school teacher because he kept things interesting. And, and one day he showed up to class and he took a glove and he set it on the table. He said, kids, I've got a new trick for you. So all of these kids just tune in, excited to see what's going to happen. He goes, I can make this glove do amazing things. Well, what is it? What's going to happen? And he says, watch this. This glove can pick up the Bible. Glove, pick up the Bible. And nothing happened. And he said, let me, let me try again. Glove, pick up the Bible. And the kids are thinking, well, this isn't really working so hot, is it? And then he takes the glove and he puts it on and he picks up the Bible. And his point was to not do a magic trick. It was to show that, that when we try to imitate Christ, we really can't do the things we're supposed to do. But when Christ lives in us, like a hand going in the glove, and through us, he allows us to live the life that we are called to live. So it's not about imitating Christ, it's about allowing Christ to live in us. This is why Galatians 2.20 says that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay? Verse 7. Beloved. At this point, the tone changes. Remember, John is a pastor. He's writing to his flock, to believers. He says, Beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, this is a little bit confusing because he says, this is not a new commandment. And then what does he say next? This is a new commandment, all right? So, so there's the difference between something being new in time and new in quality or new in substance. For instance, I'm a Ford guy. So 1975, they released the first F-150, all right? 2015, they released a new F-150. The F-150 is not new in time. It's existed since 1975. However, the quality has changed to now, like the 2015 is much better in its quality. So, so while the F-150 is not new in time, it is new in quality. The idea of love is not new in time. If you look at Deuteronomy 6.8, it says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. The idea of loving God with your all. And then Leviticus 19.18 says to love your neighbor as yourself. So the very thing that Jesus is concerned about, loving God and loving others, has been around since the Old Testament. Like this is not new. However, the quality with which we can fulfill the command to love has changed now because Christ lives in us. So the indwelling of Christ allows us to love with the quality of love that is much more impactful to the world that we live in. The third test kind of hinges or kind of, kind of works off of the second test. So the first test is, is your faith more than a label? The second test is, is your faith more than an imitation of Jesus. And the third test is, is your faith more than a religion? Is your faith more than a religion? You see, there's a difference between Christianity and a religion. Is Christianity a religion? Yes. But there's a difference between the two. You see, religion is the idea of obeying to be 
accepted. So if I follow these commands, if I do the right things, then, then God will accept me and God will love me. And, and that is tiring. That is burdensome. That is not life-giving. That, that, is, that is religion. And, and we are called to more than trying to do the right things. You see, Christianity says it's not about obeying to earn acceptance. It's saying that we are accepted through the work of Christ. And because of that acceptance, it should birth obedience in our lives. There's a huge difference between the two. One says, I obey, therefore I am accepted, and that is burdensome. The other says, I am accepted, therefore I obey, and that is life-giving. In 1992, my family moved from Nebraska to San Antonio, Texas, and and the heat was quite different between the two. And, And so one of the things my sisters and I like to do is to go to the pool. But there was a problem. You see, my sisters were older than me, and they were allowed to swim without adults. But because I was in the second grade, they said, you need to have your parents here. Well, my parents couldn't always go to the pool, so my sisters had the liberty of going to the pool without me while I sat at home and, and played with Legos. Or I, I actually played with cardboard, like, paper that you wrap with and made guns. You know, so so it more, more or less, I was playing guns by myself. But I wanted to go home and, and, or go to the pool and swim with my sisters. So they decided at the pool that they would give me a test. And if I passed this test, they would allow me to swim without my sisters. So I had to swim from one side of the pool to the other side of the pool. I knew I could do this. Simple enough. So, so I sat with my hand on the wall in the pool, looking at the lifeguard, getting his, getting his approval, waiting for him to blow the whistle to send me on my test. So he blows the whistle and, and I go. I put my head down and I start swimming my heart out. And I'm swimming and I'm swimming and I'm swimming and I'm swimming and I'm swimming. And I touch the wall and I look up. And you know what I see? The lifeguard that just sent me on my way. I, I swam in a circle. Okay? So when we obey to be accepted, it's like we're on a religious treadmill. We are working really hard, but in the end, we're getting nowhere. That's why it's burdensome. However, when we realize that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we are accepted in God's eyes, and then that births our obedience, we're not going nowhere. We are making progress, and we are growing closer and closer and closer to God. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. John is black and white here. He says we either are following Christ, and therefore we are accepted and we are obeying, and and we are giving spiritual life to others, or we are running the spiritual treadmill and we are causing people to stumble. So we either lead people towards Christ or people away from Christ, and he actually equates this with hating someone. So just because you don't have ill feelings towards someone doesn't mean you're acting in a way of hate. If you are leading them away from God, he's saying you basically don't love the person. And the opposite of love is to hate. Then verse 11 says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. At the end of verse 10, it it talks about stumbling. Our life can either be stumbling blocks or stepping stones. We can either live in such a way that we give people a life spiritually, or we can live in such a way that we drain people spiritually. So how how do we live a life of authenticity? 
How do we live in such a way that we don't run the risk of failing these three tests? Well, it starts with honesty. We've got to be honest with ourselves. I heard a story of a, a rancher who had a sick horse, and um, he, had a, he had a veterinarian friend, and he, he said, you know, my horse has a problem. Sometimes he walks right, and sometimes he walks with a limp. What do you think I should do? And because this guy was his friend, he, he said, I'll give you some good advice. Next time he walks right, sell him. <laughs> right? So, so, so here's the deal. Some of you walk rightly when you're at church. Like, you, you know the right things to say, the right things to do, and you actually feel like you're encountering God when you're here. But when you leave here, if you're honest with yourself, you feel like you're walking with a limp. You feel like things aren't quite right. And if that's you, then, then you're not hurting anybody here, but you are, you are robbing yourself of the life that God intended you for, the fullness of the life that God intended for you to have outside of here. So we've got to be honest with ourselves. How are we doing in all areas of our life? So, so to do that, we need to ask ourselves with honesty these three questions. Is my faith just a label? Are you in a season where you call yourself a Christian, but it really doesn't impact any other area of your life? You need to ask yourself, am I trying to do the right things by my own power? Am I trying to do the right things by my own power instead of the indwelling of Christ? And we also need to ask, am I on a religious treadmill? Is my relationship with God more of a burden than something that's giving life? You know, Mississippi has laws on taking care of your kids. But no parent takes care of their kids out of fear of going to jail. People take care of their kids because they love them. In the same way, God doesn't want us to obey Him like a slave cringing before a master. He wants us to obey Him out of the, out of the depths of our heart that understand what Christ did for us on the cross. To obey Him from a place of love. Christ empowers us for an act of love. And here's why that's important. Flip over to, to 1 John 4, and we're going to close out here. 1 John 4. Here's why being authentic is important. Because we don't want to be stumbling blocks. We want to be life-giving. And this is how this works. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So you're seeing similar vocabulary, this, this knowledge, this something that, that is currently impacting you and will forever impact you. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. And that, that term made manifest means that, that God has revealed something that was previously unknown. So no one knew the depths of God's heart until his son came and died on the cross. It says, among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him, Christ abiding in us. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That He sent His Son to remove the offense of our sins and to repair our relationship with God. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, to be an authentic follower of Christ, continuing his ministry. Then verse 12, 
No one has ever seen God. Who's seen God? No one. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us or His love is shown through us. I want you to think about this. I want you to get this. This is why this is important for us to be authentic followers of Christ. When we live out the commandment to love, when we live out the ministry of Christ in this world, we take God who is invisible, God who no one has ever seen, and we make the God that is invisible tangible to this world, a world that desperately needs him. You see, this is God's plan A. There is no plan B. God is creating in us a way of life that furthers his ministry and that preaches the gospel to others. There is no other way that God is going to show his love to people. His love is shown through his followers. We are called, we are privileged with the joy of being his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. We are privileged with making God who is invisible, tangible to this world. We have to take this stuff seriously. We can't fool ourselves. We can't walk in darkness and and keep stumbling over things. We need to take an honest evaluation of our heart to look at the things that could cause us to stumble and say, God, I want to remove these things. I don't want to just be a follower of you in in terms or in a label. I don't want to just follow you by my own power. I don't want to try to earn your acceptance. I don't want to follow you in a way that's burdensome. I want to do it in a life-giving way. So if you give me life, I can give life to others. So that if you give me life, I can make you tangible to the world that needs you. This is a privilege and a responsibility and something that we've got to live out. Christ has called us to be an authentic follower of him. So we're getting ready to enter into a time of response. And and I don't know where you're at. I know people are going to be all across the board. I know know some people are going to need to to sit here and and say, God, I I just want to sit and work through these questions a little bit. Others of you are are sitting here thinking, I I don't even know if I'm, I'm a follower of Christ at all. Like, I don't know if, if I even know him. And if that's you, there's going to be some staff members to the left. And I would encourage you not to wait to go talk to them. They have a, they have a room they can pull you off to the side and, and you can kind of get away from all of this and, and, and ask some questions and get some questions answered. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I've got this nailed down. Like, I, I know that I'm authentically following him. And if that's you then I would say stand and sing with all of your heart. I mean, we, we sang earlier, bless the Lord on my soul, and, and we said that we will sing like never before. When we say sing like never before, that doesn't mean sing monotone and just repeat the words. That means that the, the outcry of your heart is something new and refreshed because you have a deeper understanding of who Christ is and, and what God's love is, that you're singing like never before. Then, then stand and sing like never before. Maybe you need to come down to the altar. There's nothing holy about this place, but there's something about being on your face before God. And maybe, maybe there, you just need to come and get on your face. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you need to extend forgiveness. I don't know where you are, but the gospel is this. God requires perfection. And what he has required, he has provided. That demands a response. Father, as we explore what what John wrote to his church, as we see a pastor's heart who is genuinely, genuinely concerned about people authentically following you, 
God, let us, let us take that wisdom and let us take your word and apply it to our lives. God, we want to give spiritual life to others for your glory, to see your bride purified, to see your bride grow. We, we want to be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece to this world. We want to make you tangible to people that need you. So God, as we respond, work on our hearts, help us to be honest with ourselves, and let us leave here changed, at least a degree closer to being like your son. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.